Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 377 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. This episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. You can check out their digital growth bundle and get the launch price today by going to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth and by Remodel Health. Uh, you can figure out how your organization can save a lot of money on healthcare by going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. Well, today's guest is Todd Wilson, and we're going to talk about the future of church growth, how church finances impact the return to church and the future of innovative church planting. Uh, this, as you'll probably uh, pick up in the conversation, <laughs> started off as a phone call. Todd's like, hey, you want to talk? And we talked in the early days, uh, well, I guess the early summer days of 2020. And it was such a fascinating phone call. We don't agree on absolutely everything, which to me is fun, uh, about the future of the church. We see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, but certainly not everything. And I said, you know, I wish we could do this uh, on the podcast. So then, you know, a little while ago, we sat down and had the conversation for you. So uh, anyway, that's how this happens. And that's why I love this podcast. And the What I'm Thinking About segment at the very end, for those of you who listen to the very end, I'm going to talk about where I think online church is going and why I keep getting kind of pilloried sometimes online for it. Not, not in a bad way. People have their own opinions, but why I have probably the outlier opinion on online church versus in person want to explain a little bit about that. Anyway, that's what's in store for you this episode. And uh, hey, Todd is the founder and CEO of Exponential, a national not-for-profit ministry whose core focus is distributing thought leadership through conferences, books, podcasts, software, and small group learning communities. He is the author of multiple books, and uh, I'm just so thrilled to have him on the podcast. Did you know uh, that Life Church has over 35 campuses around the U.S. with one creative and digital team serving their campuses remotely from Oklahoma City. In the same way, Pro Media Fire and Pro Web Fire have come together with a brand new digital growth bundle to help your church in the city you're at remotely. The digital growth bundle includes a custom-built website, a web team updating your website weekly, a graphic design team creating all your design needs from print to social media graphics and a bonus brand identity package for a new logo or for any brand development. Now, I'm telling you, I have led long enough to know how expensive it is to get all of that if you're trying to hire it out yourself or ad hoc it yourself. So the pricing is really simple, no upfront fees and a monthly flat rate price for far less than the cost of figuring this out yourself. You can check out the launch price today and save thousands by going to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. The price is going to go up soon, so lock in the launch special today for the digital growth bundle. And speaking of savings, it's probably time for you, if you haven't done it already, to reevaluate the health benefits uh, for your team right around the corner. And for some churches, it's like, well, we either cut costs or we cut staff. Well, what if you could just cut costs and keep your staff? And what if you could give them equal to greater health benefits than you're currently giving them and still save money? Well, um, that's where Remodel Health steps in. They have an industry expert come alongside you, not just help you understand your options, but find a solution that could save you and your employees hundreds of thousands of dollars. I know this sounds too good to be true, 
but I promise you it isn't. If you're a large church, if you're a small church, Remodel Health is the health benefits software and consulting service that helps you save money and care for your team. So to date, Remodel Health has helped Kerry Newhoff listeners save $2.1 million in the last year and a half. So just imagine what your ministry could do with a slice of that savings. Right now, very challenging time. So you want to act before you lock in 2021. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry today. There you can learn more, get access to their free savings calculator, their church buyer's guide, and a brand new ebook. So hope you'll check out some of our partners. We choose them really carefully and are honored to be partnering with Remodel Health and ProMedia Fire. Uh, and they're part of the reason you get this for free and we're able to do everything that we are able to do. So thank you to our partners for that. And um, yeah, those are people who can really help you. And I hope this conversation can help you. Uh, stick around. I'm going to add some extra thoughts toward the end, but I'm so thrilled to bring you my conversation with Exponential founder and CEO, Todd Wilson. Todd, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you. Carrie, it's always great to be with you. Looking forward to today. Well, we're going to do the impossible here. We're going to try to recreate a conversation you and I had for about an hour. Uh, I was driving down to Toronto. You were wherever you were. And we were just talking about the future of the church. And it was so rich and so good. Number one, I was sad that uh, my meeting was up and the ride was over and the conversation wasn't longer. And then I said, you know, I think this is the kind of conversation because we don't we don't 100 percent see things the same way. And I think heading into an election year, that's probably a good thing to get people who don't always agree to have like friendships and conversations, but it wasn't a deep disagreement. It was just like really interesting perspectives on the future of the church. So thanks for being up to it. Yeah. Well, let's be real clear. You and I are going to be friends after this podcast. So there's not, <laughs> not a question about that. <laughs> yeah, you bet we are. You bet we are. Let's start broadly because as the you know founder of Exponential and the president of that, uh, you meet with just tons of church planters, so many church leaders. Uh, so we are roughly six months into coronavirus now, the disruption of 2020. What are the pain points that you are seeing with, yeah, this world that we're all living in all of a sudden? Yeah, I think, Carrie, you know, um, for sure, uh, let me start with the surprise. We kind of assumed the financial hit would be greater, and I'm sure we'll circle back and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so. Yeah. The churches that we're working with so far are enduring okay on the financial side of things. Do you tend to, just to clarify, does that mean you're working mostly with growing churches, like even in normal times? I think that uh, growing churches are probably more naturally drawn to what we're doing. You know, and the language we use at Exponential, a level one church is subtracting, a level two is plateauing, a level three is adding. And then we're most interested in the reproducing and multiplying right. part, but you could be reproducing or multiplying no matter what your attendance trends are. So right. that can be a hundred and you're planting churches or, or whatever, but you're looking at churches that are planting churches that are multiplying uh, churches right. that are starting their own networks, et cetera, et cetera. And, and even though you can, you you have churches across that whole spectrum that are reproducing in general, the ones that have the bigger, you know, the budgets that are adding and growing are, they put a little bit more money into the reproducing and church planting. So it's, mm. it's, uh, it's a little okay. Bit so you're saying financially, it's maybe a little bit brighter than you thought it would be. And I mean that, that, well, the day we're recording this, that's still true of the stock market. It's still almost true of the economy, although there's a massive inequality that's probably opening up. Yeah. I, I probably have more conversations, Carrie, and it doesn't mean it's representative of the whole market, but yeah. 
I have more conversations with pastors who are telling me that while they're not meeting, their expenses are down, but their income has, you know, if it's not held the same, it's it's not gone down as much as the expenses right. have. So I hear pastors over and over that they're doing they're doing okay financially, and that's yeah. I've had the same story. It's like so re- giving may be flat or down a little bit, but expenses are down even more. Right. So our and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Uh, my big concern is the future of where that's headed. You know okay. what happens if the finances do start to go down? I don't think we've seen that pain point yet. Now within what we are seeing, the way things are, you know. You had the up and down of the attendance of online and how do you count online? You've written a lot of good stuff about that. So um, I at at one point I was hearing and seeing a lot of people concerned and talking about the trend, you know, how rapidly those trends were changing. Yeah, um, I think we've gotten past that some, at least in the conversations I'm having uh, with people. Probably the two biggest things that that I think for our audience are uh, are wrestling with. One is the engagement piece. It's mm-hmm. how do you engage? How do you do disciple making in a virtual kind of context? How do you engage people beyond just a Netflix kind of atmosphere where you can binge, listen, or watch, you know, whatever you want at this point? And again, that's a good and a bad. If I if I want a playlist kind of church where I can just pick and choose on any given day who to tune into, I, I've got that today. Yep. And so you, you've got that dimension of the engagement that's going on. And I, I would say that's the big one. The second one is the whole debate over new normals. You know, right. what, as, as people are trying to look ahead, at the end of the day, if you believe, you know, uh, more of the experts, it, it's less than 2% of any sector that really sets the pace and does the map making and pioneers the future. So what we've done is we've thrown 100% of churches into this chaos the last six months. And and whatever the new normals become, and we can debate how significant, is it a radical new normal? Is it a partial new normal? Let's just agree there's a new normal, okay? Okay. I mean, there is a new normal coming. The question is, who's going to shape it? What is it? And if only one to one and a half percent of churches are kind of the pioneering map makers for that new normal, who should we even be listening to, watching? What are the trends? And so I do have a lot of conversations with churches where the very first thing someone asks me, what are you seeing? What's the trend? What are you mm-hmm. seeing? And that's all trying to, I think, look into the future around the next corner at, at what, you know, some insight into what the next new normal is. I think that's where we're going to have a lot of fun in this conversation because that's what you and I were ping-ponging back and forth quite a bit in, the, in that phone call. And of course, it changes all the time. Uh, I want to ask you, because David Kinneman and I talk about this quite a bit, but any any sense of how the mental health or emotional, spiritual well-being uh, church leaders is in this season. I know last time we talked, you said what a lot of people have said, you've never worked harder in your life. Like we've all, we've all been there. We've all been pushing hard. How, how are people holding up under the pressure from what yeah, you can see? I, I actually think, Kerry, that's a huge concern. You know, we just yeah. had our annual board meeting and it's one of the top concerns our board talked about actually was yeah. what's it look like in this coming season? We're a church planting and multiplication organization. Which is stressful to begin with. It's stressful to begin with, but part of what our board talked about is, you know what, the just all of the stats are not positive, and 
you know, I, you and I have talked about this. I think every organization has to make assumptions about the future. You're making assumptions about the future yep. that are going to play into how you do things. And I think what all of us have to figure out is how to how do we make our own assumptions informed by what's going on, but not just based on what everybody else is doing. And I think this issue of mental health and and things in the future, we've got to pay attention to it. I mean, I I don't have some prophetic look into a magic ball, but I, I do believe the one assumption we're making at Exponential, things are going to get worse before they get better. What makes you think that they're going to get worse? Because you're not the lone voice on that. I mean, we had Scott Harrison on and he thinks we're into two or three years of prolonged recession, that giving could go down, et cetera. What makes you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? And and I those two things you just mentioned, independent of him saying it, I, I would affirm that's a, that we're making those assumptions. Me, me too. And I, I seem to be a minority voice. I'm like, I expect the real estate market to collapse. I expect the economy to struggle. And I'm like the only, and I'm an optimist. So look, I mean, I'm not going to answer your question like quantitatively, but let me qualitatively. None of Uh, us, just for the record, surprise, surprise, neither Todd nor I are psychologists, economists, or anything like that. We're just a couple of people trying to figure stuff out. But for what it's worth, what's what's your take on that? I I would, here are the factors that I'm kind of putting into why I think that's the case. Um, and these aren't in order of significance. We live at a very divided time. I mean, I mean, we're fighting over face masks. I think face masks are dividing churches. Wait till mandatory vaccines come in in a few months. I mean, if we think Mm -hmm. we're fighting over face masks, it just seems like division is going to get greater, not less. You know, you start saying, how do you predict less division and more unity and things? That one's a hard one to get your head around. If you if you just straight go after the finances of what's going on at this point, um, we're adding trillions of dollars of debt in this country at this point yeah. by writing checks to things. And and at the same time, look what the stock market's at an all time high. Interest rates are at an all time low. If if you didn't know covid was going on and you just were an alien visiting this place or something, you'd look and you'd say, Wow. Uh, unemployment before COVID's really low. We're pumping all this money in. Interest rates are low. Stock market's high. And because the interest rates are low, house prices of if you just look at the peak of house prices going up, you know, even if it's a long term up, what goes up comes down. So mm-hmm. it's gone up so quickly. It just seems by the laws of physics, you'd see it come down. Um, I was you know, again, different articles, but I was just looking at one earlier this week on um, uh, delinquency rates on mortgages. And you can look at what happens to house prices by delinquency rates. And if you just look at that statistic right now, what you just mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean, we ought to anticipate a 10, 20% drop in average house prices here. Oh, just that's what I'm thinking. 10 or 20, we're in the same range. I think I get you see a 20% drop. Right. So if, if, if you just take that as a financial backdrop, the psychology of house prices going down, the government can't pump a lot more money into things, no. and churches have been holding up on their finances. So if you, if you just play out, if you just play the game of a futurist hat for a minute, how would church be different right now, six months later, after COVID started? 
if in fact giving had fallen by 50 percent yeah six months ago and if you just if you play that into the future and you say what would change if over the next six to 12 months we actually do see giving in churches start to drop that becomes really painful really quickly in in the church world and so if you, for me if you take the external factors of house prices soaring and interest rates low and just the different combination of things it's hard to imagine that we're not in for a couple of years of difficult financial times and now how does the church fare in that on top of covid becomes the question and I, i'm not a doom and gloom person Carrie. no i'm not either and i'm shocked to be saying this stuff out loud because i'm an optimist like i really am i'm 95 percent optimist and five percent other um, but I really think that realism is your friend when you're looking into the future and, you know, you just got to prepare for it because if you're prepared, then I think you're in better shape. And I hope that's all wrong. I agree. I happen to agree with you. I don't think you're fundamentally misguided. And I, I certainly hope that's, that's wrong. But if it's not, then what do you do? Back to the, the mental strain of that. It's funny because, you know, lots of people have studied, um, you know, Luther and uh, the plague and the bubonic plague and the Spanish flu, how the church responded. It would be interesting. I haven't seen any articles on this. Maybe you have to see how the pastors responded during the Great Depression or even, you know, go a little bit deeper on Bonhoeffer again and look at the Second World War and the division of that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I haven't, I haven't read a whole lot about the church in tough economic times, say through the 1930s after that, that huge, you know, spike the roaring twenties and then, and then the great depression. But uh, yeah, I think we could be in for, as Andy Crouch says, a little bit of a, a winter, if not an ice age, a little ice age in terms of things not getting better. Um, what are back to mental health? So if you can see pastors who are, because uh, you're in touch with just hundreds of church leaders on a regular basis, but who are weathering this storm, all things being equal, relatively well. They they have a strong faith. They're not zombies all the time. Things at home are going okay. And, and they're managing to stay on their feet mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, any thoughts on some of the things that they're doing right now? I mean, I've got a whole regimen I've followed for years that I have doubled down on and you know, I had a couple of low points. You feel the emotions like everybody. And I'm like, okay, need to sleep a little bit more. I need to work a little bit less. I need to exercise a little bit more. Um, you know, my, my devotional routine really doesn't change from season to season. Being off the road has been great, but, um, you know, constantly pivoting. We're pivoting again as a company right now. Um, that takes its toll. It's busy. What, what are either your disciplines or other disciplines you've seen that are helping leaders right now? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think um, if I if just personally to begin with, like what you and I were talking about previously, I, I am an optimist. I am very I like to tell people I'm serotonin neutral. I, I was given a good dose of serotonin. So it is hard to get me down like it's yeah. hard for me to feel down. And I got to tell you, the last six months, I found myself down. Like, I mean, you, you just have the wow, I want to get out of this funk kind of thing. And and so I know if a person who's naturally up and not down is down, like it, it's it's got to be a struggle for, for many. Yeah, and it's more than just positive thinking because you remember, remember social media in the first month after COVID, it's like, you know, 
uh, faith over fear, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, immediately with, in my spirit, I thought, okay, um, we're, we're going to have to go deeper than that. We're just going to have to go deeper than that. But fortunately, you know, our faith went to the cross and it ended up in an empty tomb. So I think Christianity can withstand that. Um, how, how have you found yourself six months later still on your feet? What's helped you turn it around? Yeah, I, I think for me personally, and I'll share what I'm hearing from a few other people, I, um, I like most of the leaders out there right now, I found myself busier than ever yeah. a couple of months into this. It, it, what, you would have thought there'd be like a vacation or a rest time. And the whole idea of pivoting, when you just said a minute ago, our company's pivoting again now. It's like, you know, in the last six months, I told people two months into COVID, we had done more strategic planning in two months than we've done in the 15 year history of exponential. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing is there's a fun part to that. And then there's the reality of the soberness of when you're strategic planning and you realize how much needs to pivot and how much needs to change and it's uncertain and it's confusing. And so what, the way I'll play that into what I'm trying to do, I love new things. I love new opportunities. I love getting into the new and I'm having to just keep bringing myself back to simplify, simplify, simplify. How do I try to create margin by simplifying? And I got to tell you, Carrie, I don't know how to, I mean, because the more we try to simplify, it seems like the more the opportunities are there. So I, I, that's, that's our current pivot. It's like, this is something that a week ago I didn't know was there. I don't know what will become of it, but it was a great opportunity and I'm, you know, I just literally got off a call with my staff and I said, okay, I think there's a major refocus coming from the next few months. And, you know, here's what, it's a great opportunity, but, you know, opportunities aren't workless. There's a lot of work involved in them. And you just think you got a formula and then it breaks. Right. Our team in April, we did this season of strategic planning. We had 11 pivot priorities for we, we treated the quarter from April, May, and June to the end of June as a piloting season for us with new things. Great. And it, it it was simultaneously exhilarating and exhausting. Yeah. And, and so I have found myself just feeling like I need rest and then margins the other thing. The huge thing I'm trying to be on right now is the idea of margin and daily disciplines leading to margin kind of thing. Um, I was on a call with Matt Chandler a couple of weeks ago, and Matt was describing the discipline that he has where <clears throat> he schedules time. Like if you and when you and I get off the call, if Matt were on with us, he would schedule 10 minutes after the call to just pray and reflect on the call. Good for him. A building in. So uh, the issue of margin in the middle of what feels like the busiest season of life that's the tension, but it's what I know the code that's got to be broken for me is this idea of simplifying margins. So. Well, and I agree. I mean, it's not, I'm writing a book on that right now that'll come out next year, but it's not, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity, right? And, and back to your point, let, let's, okay, let's just assume that our 10, 20% correction is a thing next year. And a lot of the leaders listening would say, yeah, my expenses are way down, giving's down a little bit, but there's margin. Well, save a lot of that, right? And that way, you know, we had a cash runway as a small company heading into coronavirus, which we just kept in case it was a rainy day and this is a rainy day and, you know, 
was very helpful to have that, not to have to lay anybody off. But if it gets a little bit worse, it gets worse. And then if it doesn't, well, you get a little bit of a cash runway that will buy you a few more months or half a year or something like that, uh, that you can use to pour into people who are in need and, and ministry and future priorities. You guys, one of your pivots was you had one of the biggest series of online events scheduled for the fall of 2020 in the history of Exponential. And of course, most of that got relatively wiped out. So how did you go from being and I mean, how many how many people go to Exponential? Like five thousand. I've been there a bunch of times. Is it cumulatively over the year? It's ten thousand. About five thousand in Orlando, fifty five hundred in Orlando, and then another four or five spread through the other events in the year too. Yeah. So you're a physical events company, and right. you're going to ramp that up with roundtables across Europe, if I remember right, and across yeah. America, and then boom, COVID hits, borders are closed, and your physical gathering plans are out the window. So what what did your pivot involve and how has that gone so far? Yeah, I, let me explain a, one part of the back of that and then I'll explain it. If you go back three years ago, we started seeing the need to be more decentralized, to go from the bigger events to more smaller events, more online things. So we were already in the transition to more online uh, different things. Three years ago, we put it in our plan that we were going to wor- start working toward a uh, hundred roundtables, smaller roundtable events. And so last year we piloted the first of those roundtable events. They went fantastic, and and so we said, okay, we have a three-year plan to ramp up to a hundred or more roundtables. We officially decided that one year ago, in the fall of last year, we decided that COVID hits. And we said, well, we don't have three years. Uh, Let's do 100 roundtables in the fall of 2020. And this is the beautiful thing about online, Kerry, as you know. We're able to plan the smaller events a little bit driven by COVID. Okay, maybe people can only have 50 people at their gathering. And so let's plan a gathering that would have critical mass with as few of, you know, as 50 people. But let's do it in a way that if we need to move it online, those same events can be done online with Zoom breakout rooms. And so uh, it has been amazing. We uh, we are we're recruiting the hundred host locations, even in the middle of COVID this fall. It's easier to do the smaller things. We're now pivoting into the spring to say, all right, instead of a hundred roundtables in the spring, what's two or three hundred roundtables look like? Wow. And so. We're, we're very much going to the smaller. Now, that's also in the context to go back three years. There's 3,100 counties in the United States. We want to see a mul- what we call a multiplication activist in all 3,100 counties in America. Well, well, you would know how many counties there are in America. This is why I love talking to you. There's 3,100 counties and 100 independent municipalities. So really 3,200 of those. And so we've, it has been in our plan, how do we get these multiplication activists in all 3,200 local jurisdictions? Where does that drive you? To on more online and more smaller decentralized things. So I, I desperately want to believe, Carrie, that in five years when we look back, COVID will be an amazing catalytic thing in our ministry that took what was going to be a three to five year runway and forced us into a three to five month runway. That's incredible. And, and I think, I think those are great examples. What, 
What are you seeing in the church right now? And again, because you got your finger on the pulse, but you can point to, because one of the arguments I've made, and you can agree or disagree, is that a lot of what we've seen in the church world in the first six months hasn't been innovation, it's been adaptation. None of us had a choice, right? Buildings are closed, cities are shut down, so you can't meet, so you pivot to online, but that really wasn't innovative, it was necessity. It's like pivot or die. And, And what I saw, and again, please bring your own opinion to this, was a lot of experimentation in the spring. April, May, people are going Facebook Lives and let's try this and let's do Zoom prayer and let's do this. And what I've watched is a narrowing of the options. Now it's summer and people were tired and the whole deal. But it almost feels like what used to be, if you think about what still a lot of churches were doing, it was like, come to Sunday, come to Sunday, come to Sunday, right? We got a few midweek things, go do your small group. But it's like, this is the thing, Sunday morning, you better be there for weekend services. And it feels like six months into this now, most churches have been to come to our stream, come to our stream, come to our stream. And a lot of the midweek stuff have gone silent, except for a few social posts here or there, or the occasional message along the way. And so we've, we're almost now mimicking what we used to do in person by betting it all on an hour on Sunday. And I'm like, where's the innovation? So number one, I'd love your critique of that, whether you would beg to differ on some of those points. And number two, I'd love to see what you are seeing that you think, yeah, no, this counts as innovation, not adaptation. What are you seeing that's fresh and, and exciting? Right. I think uh, I would agree with everything you just said. Mm-hmm. And when we look ahead, um, if, you, if you really try to put your finger on what is innovation in what we're doing, um, in my world of church planting, I think it's for, if you pretend you're a church planter for a minute and you were going to launch a church this year and COVID hits. Yeah, I have friends who are doing that right now. You know, what do you do? It's usually the part of building a launch team that's face-to-face gatherings. I mean, <laughs> it's very difficult. But when you look at some of the innovative things that are going on online with church plants where, you know, the gaming community, uh, one of the guys we work with is a key player in the in the uh, national gaming community. And there there's just amazing things going on that allows us to take the church into locations that we wouldn't normally get to. I think the question in that, Carrie, is you know, without getting into a debate over the ecclesiology of what is church and what's not church. Sure enough. I actually think that the question of what is church is going to become one of the key questions coming out of COVID. Hmm. Because I think what is happening right now, even in the innovation of what's happening right now, I would characterize it personally way more in the mission field category, not the church category. That, That we're able to deploy missionaries and the message into places that we otherwise wouldn't be able to get. And and to me, that's more of a missionary impulse for evangelism, which is fantastic. But now you reach into an area and it's still going to fall back to what's church. Hmm. So is it, and again, it isn't our debate for today, but if somebody does the killer best digital thing you could ever do in the history of the world at this point. And what happens every week is somebody tunes into a digital thing. Is it church or not? That is I, an I, active debate. It And, and I think it's going to become, personally, I'm predicting it's going to become more of a debate, not less as we move into the future. Because 
the new the new normal, it seems like the new normal is going to involve greater digital than pre-COVID. Correct. So moving into greater digital, and all of a sudden, churches are even going to think about, why do I even have a physical building? Why do I need it? Why not be completely digital? It, it At some point, we've got to go through that question of what the you know, what physically is church. And I think the other, your question about what are we seeing and what's the innovation, I I have to separate just candidly at this point as, as a futurist in the church planting world, I have to separate out what I want to have happen, you know, versus the reality of what might happen. Well, let's of. play both games. I want yeah. to hear both, uh, both perspectives. Yeah. I think if, if you could just go back, Pick a time period. Go back a decade. Yep. And if you look what's going on a decade ago, the mega church movements 25 years into the or church growth movement leading to the mega church movement, it, it has been by definition a movement because we've gone from less than a hundred churches over a couple of thousand to thousands of churches that way. You know, it, it's got a movement characteristic to it. The multi-site church 10 years ago was right in the movement part of it. It had gone from less than 100 multi-site churches to 7,000 multi-site churches or whatever the number was back a decade ago. I think it, what we started hoping for a decade ago at, at, at Exponential was we were going to move from mega to multi to micro. Hmm. We even wrote a paper about it 10 years ago. It was titled From Mega to Multi to Micro. And we hypothesized in this paper, there's probably a bunch of prominent megachurches sitting around a table right now. They're working on the future of microsites and microchurches. And, and you know, they're going to be the pace setters of the future sort of thing. So there's a part of me for a decade now, our, our mission at Exponential is to see multiplication become the normative measure of success in the church. Like it's what, how people measure success that requires the church to be a missionary sending agency, to see every person as an everyday missionary with an everyday mission field that the way I like to say it here is we're flipping the equation upside down. Instead of the come to us and help us do our thing, we can do it. You can help us with our thing. The church as a, the Home Depot motto, you can do it. How do we help you do our thing? The church as the sending agency. Well, here's the here's the big tension that gets into the prediction of the future. I like to just say, follow the money. If you take the model in the U.S. church and tell me how much money you're going to spend on a church plant or a church in a given area, and I'll tell you roughly how many people that church is reaching. Really. Because uh, it's yeah, it's a. Do you, have, do you have formulas you can share? Like uh, ratios well, you can share? Numbers we can show, like in a in a suburban kind of environment. Right. If you, again, if you go back, let's just look what's happened a decade ago. About a decade ago, it was about a thousand dollars per person. If you took attendance of a new church three months after it started, and let's say they're running 120 people. They spent about $120,000 to get there. Wow. And it and now play it forward. If you look at a church's budget, we're talking a typical strong attractional church. Sure. If that church has 80 full-time equivalent staff, mm -hmm. 
They've probably got, I mean, you can do the math at a thousand dollars. It's, it's about that thousand dollars a person. You can predict their budget in a pretty uncanny way. And it, if, and not to be, this is as detailed as I get, I promise. If, if one full-time equivalent paid staff person can minister to about a hundred people, yep. it's why the average church in the United States runs about 90 people. Because if they can ever afford to hire the second staff person, they will, but they never can afford it. And one person can only minister to a hundred people. So they get stuck below a hundred people. They don't invest the money to try to break that hundred barrier. So money is a, I mean, money drives the model of church in the United States. And if you say, what are the, what are the biggest expenditures in church? Buildings and full-time staff. Totally. And guess what? The mega church and the multi-church, the church growth movement with the multi thing is perfectly lined up for that kind of model. And that's one of the reasons it flourished over the last 25, 30 years. Exactly. And now when we get into the pivoting into the future, if the future is more the mic, let's say it's either digital or micro, either one, digital or micro, how do you fund that model? Do you need all the same number of full-time staff people? Do you need $10 million building debts? I actually think it's the elephant in the room right now, Carrie, that if we're if we're looking into a future that's going to be way more digital and more people and more people not coming back to physical church, how do you fund that model when it's got a well-established funding model and 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 now all of a sudden that future of digital church and micro churches, uh, you know, micro churches are perfectly suited for bivocational. It's, mm-hmm. you know, if we were betting on a future at exponential right now, that future would be a combination of a hybrid digital, but micro bivo, that the expression of church would be more micro churches bivocationally led. Do you think, cause this is fascinating. And by the way, the older I've gotten and the more I think about this stuff, the more, I used to be dismissive of patterns like that and be like, oh, I'm the exception to the rule. And then I realized, no, we're all playing within the rules. Like there are just certain patterns to human behavior. Uh, There's certain ratios that just always seem to be true. And you can break out of them, but then you need to intentionally have a different model that that springs you out of those. So I think, you know, most of you should go back right now. This is what I'd be doing and like re-listening to what Todd said or maybe accessing the transcripts and going, wait a minute. Uh, That was really, really good. Do you think, because one of the, and, and maybe these, these are just my friends, but I've talked to some of the churches that are seeing revenue spikes, some of the churches that are seeing big online audience spikes. They're also, um, you know, they've got more money. It's not just because expenses are low, um, but some of this online momentum that they have, even without them really trying or having a strategy has translated into, oh, now I'm going to give to your church because, I'm I'm watching that. Do you think that there is a potential to see those churches explode in the micro field? Like Levi Lusco, I've talked to him and he's like, yeah, we're getting church members now in Pennsylvania. And like, he's in Montana. And, uh, you know, you talk to Mike Todd at uh, Transformation Church. It's been explosive growth. Elevation is growing. And I mean, some, some, and, you know, Craig Rochelle at Life Church, some of them are now becoming national churches. But would it be possible for those churches and their smaller multi-site siblings to have micro expressions across the country at a fraction of the cost of opening a campus? Like, do you think that's 
another possibility or you think that probably won't happen? I think that's absolutely going to happen. Like I, I would think, and, and let's, let's make a distinction, Carrie, between a micro site mm-hmm. and a micro church. There's a lot of language being thrown around. Sure. These days. But I, just for this conversation, let's say a micro site isn't, it's the next natural progression beyond multi-site. It's still the same elder board under the same governance umbrella. It's not right. an independent church with its own elders and its own spiritual covering. There's some reason that each example you would give, you know, a church in California has a site in Pennsylvania. Well, what's the connection between them? And and if it is actually a legal connection, a governance connection, then let's say that's a microsite thing. Why in the world would that not be the next natural progression? Yeah. If you're somebody who's done mega church and you've gotten the church big and then you go multi-site to spread it out in your geographic area, microsite just gives you that next, you know, root system to go out farther. So it it certainly seems like that would be the case. Part of why I say I think we're going to be headed into a season though of words matter, the difference between a church and a missionary or, or a church and a church leader and a mission field and a mission and then a micro church and a micro site somewhere there's a distinction between something that's a connection to your church right and an actual god honoring jesus subscribed church like it's and what for me Here's what the tension I wrestle with. Um, Larry Wachemeyer spent a year from our team writing a book called The Mobilization Flywheel. And he he looked at both church fathers, church history, the Bible, the ecclesiology of if you were going to try to come up with like, what are the minimums? Like, what are they kind of thing? And it's messy. Oh, my goodness. If you know, it's kind of like the face mask issue of people arguing over what things uh, ought to be there. But here's what really captivated me in the middle of that work is this simple question. What if, or does Jesus intend that every man, woman, and child have a healthy church family? Not a church connection, but an actual healthy functioning family through the church. And it's really important to answer that question first, because if the answer is yes, then the question is, what happens if we make the requirements too onerous to where we don't have churches where we need to have churches because we've set the bar so high? You got to go to five years of college to get your thing. And, you know, we we don't even set up a way that the laity can be mobilized into starting churches. So on one hand, we keep some people from having a healthy church family because we set the bar so high. But now what happens in the other end of the spectrum? What if the guy who drives the shuttle bus from the airport to the rental car place, what if he gets fired up in this new digital age and he's got his TV playing in the shuttle bus and he he prescribes, I am the church pastor of my shuttle bus. I run the, I mean, you laugh, but seriously. I'm laughing with you. Yeah. Like what is a shuttle bus driver who might interact with somebody on his shuttle bus for five minutes in the history of his shuttle bus. Is that a church? Right. And I, that's where for me, that is the coolest ever mission. If that guy sees himself as a missionary 
and his mission field is the shuttle bus, that's the coolest thing ever. What if we mobilized every person in our church thinking that way? But if as soon as we allow that guy to declare his shuttle bus as a church, now if I go back to that question, does Jesus intend that every man, woman, and child have a healthy functioning family called the church that they're connected to? Then I've got to carry a burden of responsibility that if I'm letting somebody just declare anything and everything as a church, I'm not necessarily being obedient to what Jesus intends with things. And I'm not here to say where the line is. I'm here to say, welcome to the times we live in right now, where the mega church, honestly, you know this, go look at a hundred different ones, lift up the hood. 90% of what's under the hood's the same engine. It looks a little bit different on the outside. The multi-site church, lift up the hood. It's the same way. This future of microsites, micro church, it's all boutique. It's all, it isn't uh, everything's the same. It's not a franchise model. It's boutique. And, and that, that is chaotic. Well, so many thoughts to that. First, where there's not a lot of growth or innovation, I think you get explanation in theology. So if you look at the late 20th and early 20th, 21st century, you see the plateau and declining of a lot of churches, but an awful lot of very strong opinions about, well, this is the right view on that, that is the right view on this. Contrast that to the New Testament. In the New Testament, and you know, people could quibble with this explanation of the New Testament, but the church was being born and they figured out what it meant as it happened and afterwards. It's like, are Gentiles in? Are Gentiles not in? I don't know. What do you mean you can go beyond Jerusalem? Seriously, you can go beyond Jerusalem? I didn't know that. And like the church is advancing and the explanation and the theology is being written in real time as they try to figure that out. And I wonder if the period you're describing is like that. And then secondly, you know, I was listening to uh, one of the the guy who's in charge of YouTube. Uh, he was interviewed. Gosh, I listen to so many podcasts. I can't think of it. If I do, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, he was interviewed uh, about YouTube's explosive growth. And he said uh, he wanted to get a billion hours of watch time. But the innovation of YouTube was, you know, we went from cable, well, three networks, network television, three, three main networks to cable television, which was 300. But then the innovation in YouTube was it wasn't Hollywood moguls with millions of dollars creating content. It was Todd in Virginia on his iPhone and moreover, his kids on their iPhones creating content. So suddenly you had millions, if not billions of input points. And the future you're describing sounds a little more ground up. It sounds a little more like the shuttle bus driver just going, you know what? I'm a content creator. I'm I'm somebody, maybe I'm streaming Furtick or maybe I'm streaming someone else, but um, this is a thing. And we are moving to an age where the power doesn't stay with just a handful of individuals. It's actually an empowered body, which in many ways, I think you can argue, long story short, is very consistent with New Testament theology. There's very few people listening who would deny the priesthood of all believers, right? Well, we really haven't had that what if that is what springs up? We're doing, you know, we're not a giant church, about 1,500 people pre-COVID on a Sunday morning. But, you know, during the last few months, and we've been online for years, but as things have grown online for us, there were numerous people in London, England, watching messages in Toronto, Canada, debating back and forth in the chat. It's like, well, what does that become? Well, what if they start meeting in a pub or a restaurant or someone's home? you know, when lockdown ends? And then do they become a micro expression? Do they become a micro site? How does that actually work? These are really interesting questions that we haven't 
faced at the level that we could face them before. And it seems like, Carrie, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Like, it it seems like we need to be going after a lot of these things simultaneously. If yes. Why not go after as much digital as we can get to get the message out? Um, why not go after microsites? Why not, you know, fill in the blank, go after these things? Um, and it. so I think they're positive things. I think the question still comes back to, at some point, we've got to be thinking the engagement part of church, the healthy mm-hmm. function part of church. And I'm not saying that through the lens of church equals a steeple with brick and mortar building. I'm talking the relational part of it. Yeah, saw- streaming and watching as opposed to connecting and community and evangelism and sort of the the, the central yeah. tenets of, of Christian expression when the church comes together. See, it's it. Sometimes I go through the men, just for fun, the mental exercise of okay, if I could be the king of all of a sudden, Craig Groeschel and Steve Furtick and Andy Stanley, you know, five of the top speaker, you guys who can really deliver the goods on speaking, okay, I all of a sudden get to be in charge of them through exponential. I get to build a strategy for church, and I get what I get as an asset is their voice. Hmm. Now, how would I take Stephen, just just pick on Stephen, how would I take his world and his strength and what he's doing and absolutely leverage it into, in in what I'm, in my mission at Exponential to see 16% of churches multiplying into movements, okay? Um, I don't have any problem with any really guys who can kill it on the speaking part and have big audiences. I'm going to leverage that. I mean, why chase, why push rocks uphill when you can chase them down a hill? So I I am going to say, how do I get their voices out there anywhere and everywhere I can? Television, Netflix, I'm thinking Netflix channels. I'm, I mean, I'm going to go for getting their voice out there, but at some point I got to anchor it back in. So where do I draw the line on church? If just go back 20 years when there's no internet and were there voices, you know, Charles Stanley, I mean, pick three Mm -hmm. or four from 20 years ago. Let's just take Charles Stanley still speaking today. Millions of people have listened to him online or now online on TV or on the radio. So does that mean he's got a church of a million people because a million people have listened to him? And I could go, I mean, if my, that's a good point. That's a really great analogy to by millions of people. And and here's the thing. I don't want to sound like I'm being, we need to do that. We need to get them listened to by as many people as we can. But at some point, the goal isn't just getting the message out there in ones and zero digits online. There's a transformational relational thing. And that's why I think we got to keep bringing it back to not locked into the models of the past of big buildings with whatever, but whether it's microsites, micro churches, multi-sites, whatever they might be, there's still got to, in my opinion, there's got to be the relational life on life, how you bring together, I mean, a healthy, if we just use that metaphor of a healthy, functional family, most people don't have a healthy, functional family in their life. Truth. Most people don't. And guess what? The question we've got to struggle with is the church offering that. And, and, if I do have an optimistic thing about microsites and microchurches and possibly the pivoted church of the future, 
I actually think the opportunity is there for the church to be much more of a functioning family when you've decentralized it into cells mm-hmm. as opposed to something that you come to on Sunday morning. Well, you can argue that the attractional church, which I've led and founded, so, you know, here I am, put my hand up. Um, in many ways, it was a broadcast model, you know, that that is you come to the central event, you sing a few songs, you listen to the message while it's being broadcast, you know, and then you kind of go home. Now, obviously, it's much more complicated than that. There's starting point, there's on ramps, there's small groups, there's serving, there's building into the next generation, there's serving in the community, there's all of those things. Um, but that doesn't have to happen in a central facility. So I'd love to get your read because uh, there is a debate, a quiet debate about, well, you know, when when things are whatever the new normal is and we're not wearing masks and there's a vaccine or the virus has died out and people can go back and feel comfortable to go back. Um, if we had 13 locations, are we going to have 13 locations in the future? Will we consolidate? Like uh, you advise church planters and multipliers all the time. What do you think the future of the physical building and the model as we've known it will be like moving into the future when things are relatively normalized, even in a, in a different way? I, I, again, I'm, I'm not prophetic here, Kerry. So th- these are the opinions of Todd Wilson right now. I, uh, I do not see the brick and mortar going away. Yeah. Like, it, it, and if it does start to go away, we're talking a lag period of time right now. I mean, you and I talked this before, just if if the model is currently driven by money, there, yes, there's a there are a percentage of churches out there that are debt free and don't have big mortgages on their buildings. But if we really went and looked at the oh, data, yeah. there's a whole lot of churches out there right now with a whole lot of debt on their buildings that need to fill them up to pay off that, that need debt. To fill them up. What are and, they? Getting- and and let me just clarify that because you talked about money a few times, and I know you well enough to say you're not saying that as a cynic. Because I can imagine the comments being populated with, see the churches after your money. That's not what you're getting at. No, no. And in fact, uh, even in the micro models, the the strength of the current model in the U.S., I I have been in many gatherings, Kerry, with more the missional end of the spectrum of things. And usually the messaging is if we only had the microphone you know, the, the way the ability to get the word out that the bigger churches do. And we only had the platform they have and we only had the money that they have. And it's like, whoa, 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 just stop right there. If we only had the platform, the money and the microphone, we could really get this missional thing done. Well, guess what? The mega church and the prevailing model in the U.S. has those things. I think the question is, it, it, and I'm on staff at a mega church, like how do we leverage the blessing we have in the mega and and the prevailing model with money as a getting into more places and and things. I'm, I want to be optimistic that we're increasingly going to see, especially the churches that are more well off financially flipping the equation. I'm starting to hear churches, bigger churches say, we're not doing big buildings anymore. In fact, we're going to start thinking about you know, what if we don't have any more facilities that seat more than 500 people? What if we're going more to a parish model where we're helping mobilize people in different areas? Mobilize is the word I keep hearing, mobilizing people, mobilizing people, mobilizing people. And so I, I've got to believe that even the mobilization part 
money, you know, money's not our, an evil thing here. We just have to realize that the current model both consumes the money for staff and buildings, but it's the blessing that gives us the investment into the things we get to do for mobilization. The question is, what kind of steward are we going to be in this new normal for mobilizing both people and the assets, the, the money assets of things? And that was one of the, the, the rubs, the like most fascinating part of that first conversation you and I had uh, when I was in the car that day and we just talked and talked and talked about this stuff, but um, was, was you articulated for me what was true, that the incentive on the return to church. So let's say, you know, let's take the, the, the outliers out. So we're talking about a church of 600 people, which is relatable. Even if you're a church of 200, you can almost imagine six if you're a church of 1,500, you remember six people, 600 people, whatever. You know, they got $2 million in debt on their facility. They're they're floating a little high in their mortgage. And they're like, I got to fill this place up because that's the only way we're going to pay it off. And, and there is the incentive to return to church. Plus their whole staffing model is actually built around, well, we only really know how to do building through a central facility. And I've, I've blogged a little bit about that, you know, about addictions that pastors have. We're addicted to full rooms. We're addicted. Our egos are a little bit addicted to crowds and, you know, confessional there. Yep, I've felt that. Uh, we all love the endorphin kick we get when people laugh at our jokes and cameras don't laugh at us. So we know that stuff. Um, but But some of that was you know, that we are addicted to the building. As much as we said the church didn't close when our buildings closed, we behaved like it did. There was almost a sense like, we don't even know what to do. It's almost like we're a ship's captain, but we have no ship and we can't get out onto the ocean. But actually we know theologically ministry doesn't work that way. So I'd love for you to advise the person, let's pick that church of five or 600 that's got a few million in debt that is like, my gosh, like if this goes on for another year and we don't fill up that building, because when people show up at the building, they will give money and we'll be able to pay it off. How do they pivot into a different future? Yeah, I th- this is where, uh, you know, I, I would like Dave Ramsey's stock because <laughs> it, doesn't it seem the church you're describing right now there? It seems like there's going to be a profile of church where the very best thing they can focus on as a lesson coming out of this is let's get out of debt. Yeah, like let's yeah. like. There's a realization. If you go back to the mental health question you asked, so you're the pastor. Yes. That church that you're talking about right now, you are waking up carrying a burden that your people in the church don't even know you're carrying right now. You're realizing, Fair. my goodness, we're not meeting right now. What's going to happen to finance? Oh, my goodness, we've got a $2 million building debt. That equates to X amount. And on one hand, you're hearing all about this new normal and what are we going to do in the new normal? And you're realizing, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I'm going to survive the old normal or not. And so the the chaos of that, I think one thing it leads to is back to this idea of margin. Do we have financial margin? Um, and, and again, we've been fortunate so far to not really what other industry, I mean, I think you and I might have talked this before in my life right now, you know, there's not very many examples when COVID hit of things that were automatically coming out of my checking account or my uh, credit card, you know, the gym being one of them, the gym out money every month. What other sectors tolerate continuing to take money out when you're not delivering a product and a service? Right. And the 
you're viewed as Sunday's the product and service, and all of a sudden you're not delivering, are people just going to go on and on and on for years, continuing to let the money come out when their perception is, wait a minute, we're not meeting on Sunday anymore kind of thing. And it seems like the church you're describing that we'll even say 200 to 1,000 range. Yep. Tensions that are in there, you're getting your first building, you've got your debt, you're multi-staff, you're, you're, multi you're trying multi-site. You have created, uh, you know, th this financial commitment to things that all of a sudden there's a commitment there in it that, that doesn't just go away. So Well, and even if it's paid for, you have a sunk cost bias. It's like we have this asset worth hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars that what are we going to do with? Like, I'm I'm not paying rent right now. My company's distributed. It's been virtual since day one. And we're not that big. We have like seven staff, okay, plus me. So I work out of my house. But if I was paying 10000 a month on office space, I would feel very differently about being a remote company than, than I do right now because like it's business as usual, right? And I think that's a bit of a parable for the future church. The other thing I will say, just in defense of young leaders, I've had so many of these conversations. I'm sure you have too, Todd. Uh, there's a whole generational shift in lead pastors happening right now with a lot of millennials taking over from boomers and some older Gen Xers. And the story that I'm getting is they were told there was X amount of debt. And then they get into the church and they realize, oh, founding pastor, my predecessor, didn't really tell me the truth. Like there's twice as much debt as he said it was. And the church is actually significantly smaller than he said it was. And so some of the burden that they're carrying, they inherited and they yeah. didn't even have full disclosure up front. So it was hard enough digging out from that mess when, and I, you know, I rarely hear a good news story on succession. It's never like, you know what? It was better than he said. And we have more money in the bank than he said. It's almost always the opposite right. uh, if they didn't get full disclosure. And so I just, I just wanted to go on record as saying, I've got a lot of empathy for that. Mm-hmm. Mm so if, so basically, uh, yeah, cause people, I do get this question from time to time and you deal with church planners all the time, but people are like, and they'll ask me point blank, like, how do you get those online people to pay? And I'm like, I never asked for money for people online when I was leading a church because I see that as our outreach. And if they buy in, they will fall. It's just like you don't hit up your first time guests at the church going, oh, Todd, what's your name? Todd? Yeah, Todd, did you leave an offering today? I Did, did you? Because like, if you're going to come back here again, we really need you to give. Like you would never do that to a first time guest. It's part of the discipleship process. And then eventually if they connect and you know, you help them or you lead them to faith and down the road, the wallet gets saved. And that's when they're like, I'm going to give to God. And it sort of happens automatically. Any thoughts on like the online finance model? Yeah, I think the the I think the question we've got to wrestle with. I mean, you you know of the Pareto principle that yeah. you know twenty percent twenty percent of something take care of eighty to nine or you know ninety percent of yeah. things. And I think that's the question to wrestle with on this. The more we go to more digital, I mean, let's go all the way to the extreme of all digital. Like what's it look like relationally and everything else to build the relationships with the 10 or 20% of the people that are the make or break on the finances? Hmm. Like they're, you, you've got to have that 10 or whatever your budget is, pick a budget. At the end of the day, the, the physical laws say, 10 or 20% of the people who call your thing home 
are going to really be the make or break funding your thing. And the model right now, take many of the big churches that don't need to do services till January or, you know, my prediction is we're going to have a whole wave of those churches that are going to tell us they're not meeting till September. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think you're wrong on that. What allows them to do that? They have a trusted base of, you know, if we went and looked at their finances, I guarantee in those churches, 10 or 20% of people are paying 80 or 90% of the bills. And my guess is that some of the senior leadership, if not the lead pastor, has tapped a couple of those guys or women on the shoulder and said, hey, can we count on you in this season? In fact, I think it could be a great opportunity for a church of any size to approach some of your top donors and say, hey, we want to do online. And this is, like you said, it's missionary work. Like, we don't know where this is going to go. We're going into new territory. Would you get behind us? Would you fund an increased online presence. And I would be shocked if a bunch of those donors, particularly entrepreneurial-minded people, wouldn't say, are you kidding me? I would love to give to that. But we don't think outside that box to do that. It seems like that's absolutely what needs to happen. And that is a, I mean, if we think of it through the discipleship lens, it's a discipling thing with those people too. Yeah. And and now I have to put my new church hat, you know, the church planting hat into the future. So as we go more digital where did you know let's just say digital becomes more and more of a normal thing just something as simple as how do you even build the relationship in an all online thing where that simple you know as the lead pastor how to go ask that money you set up a dinner you set up a coffee appointment you know you aren't really going to just tap the person on the shoulder if you don't know them and don't have a relationship and have never connected with them. There's some relational context there for doing it. We get that benefit right now. The way we've been ch- doing church, we still have that ability to tap on the shoulder. It's not clear in the new pivot of the future how those relationships even get built when if if there's not a what I call home, my family home. If So I think that's very fair. And I I think that's where, uh, you know, another story that doesn't get told enough is so many church leaders have now dozens, hundreds, thousands of volunteers that really haven't done a whole lot in the last six months. A lot of them are very relational people. And if you put them in the chat, you said, you know, here's 15 people that we've identified. Could you just connect with them, like text them, email them, uh, hit them up on social and just build a relationship with them. And you start you start doing that. Like you have so many relational people in a church and, uh, you know, you need parameters and guidelines around that. But I, I think that's a great way. And that scales. You know, I think it was Dave Dummett from Now Willow who said, we used to spend millions of dollars to reach thousands of people and now we'll spend thousands of dollars to reach millions of people. I think that is a little bit of the pivot that we could move into. Do you think that church attendance is going back? to pre-COVID levels. So the church of 500, when the vaccine's in place and, you know, schools aren't weird anymore and things are normal. Do you think they're back to 500? Do you think they're at 300? I mean, we know the return to church numbers are 20 to 50% of normal, um, but we're still in COVID. So any thoughts on where that might land down the road? I hate to come back to the definition of church for a second, but let me split it like this. If, If we were defining church in the future after the new pivot, the same way we're defining it pre, pre-COVID? Well, I'm thinking about the guy who's waiting for his building to fill up again or her building to fill up again. And that, I think, is a tough road ahead. It, I mean, 
just wanted my gut right now. I don't see the post-COVID numbers bound. This isn't like a stock market. You know, what goes down comes back up, you know, in our yeah. life. So you and my lifetime, you could bet in the stock market from start to finish in our lifetime right now. What comes down goes back up. Um, is it going to go back up? I mean, yeah, it's going to go back up. Is it going to, how quickly is it going to go where it was and will it ever get to where it was? Or are we going to see it in a decentralized way? I wouldn't be betting on it coming back quickly. I mean, I think it was data you guys did with Barna that I don't remember the exact statistics, but it was sobering that. Oh, it's very sobering. In COVID, the percentage of, of regular church attenders who just stopped church altogether was pretty high. 48%. I was just looking at those numbers this morning. And uh, so 48% of people in that poll that we did with Barna, I say we, Barna, David, his crew, uh, 48% had not done anything online. And of those who had, 40% watched their home church and 23% watched another church, which gets to that earlier point of market consolidation. Like, you know, some of the, it's it's like what happened to independent bookstores in the 90s when um, Barnes and Noble came along and Borders came along and kind of stamped out all the small players. Then Amazon came along and made it hard to sell books, period. And I wonder if you see some of that market consolidation, as economists would call it, happening in the church world where they're like, wow, this is really neat. And the longer this goes, I've talked to other megachurch leaders who said, this is habit forming. You know, I've said to Jeff Brody, my successor, and we're, we're on great terms, but I'm like, you know, church has been five hours for me my entire life. And for the last five months, other than when I'm preaching, it's 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. I'm happy to give half a day a week to it, right? I started a church. I mean, I'm involved in the church. I love the local church. I believe in the mission. And I think it's the hope of the world. All those things, yes, 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 yes. But for the average person to go from 45 minutes to five hours again, that's a hard flip back, particularly when those 45 minutes have now been five months, six months, seven months, eight months, a year. It's like, whew, that's a, that's a tough flip. So I think you're right. If you're waiting for your building to refill to pre-COVID levels, that is, that's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. And it, when, when you've got, you know, for, for people not in ministry, the Monday through Friday, when I was in the marketplace, getting up at five or six in the morning and getting home at seven o'clock at night and immediately having all the kids stuff to do. And Saturday was my, oh my goodness, now I got to do haircuts and cutting grass and going to the store and all the stuff, you know, Sunday really is the Sabbath kind of thing. And it's, it's like, once you get into that rhythm, like you're talking about where, you know, it's kind of nice to drink coffee in bed and watch TV, you know, watch the, you know, I can get the 45 minute service in. In fact, I could just cut out the music and just do the sermon part. (laughs) Or I can do it on demand or whoops, I forgot this week. Like, I'm not saying any of that is right. Yeah. I'm just saying it's true. And what we're up against as leaders is always what? It's against, we're up against human behavior, right? Yeah. Like what, what is leadership? It's trying to get people to do something they wouldn't do except for your leadership. And so you got to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus. You've got to lead them to connect with their neighbors. You got to lead them to connect with God. And it just maybe got a little bit harder. You just got to wonder, Carrie, for, you know, whenever we get to that tipping point, whether it's the vaccine or three months after the vaccine, that point when people don't think twice about traveling again or yeah. fill in the blank, going somewhere without yeah, a map. The NBA has got a regular season, NFL's back. And we're going to get to that point. It's going to happen. Yeah. I think we've we've got to be planning to that point. 
it seems like when we get to that point, if I if I could only inv- you know if church is a stock at that point, okay, for at least the first three to six months, uh, yeah, I I absolutely want to be looking at the digital part. But you know what? People are so sick of being locked up at home and not being able to go anywhere. You just got to ask: Isn't there going to be a point? where people are like, I want to go to the meeting. I want to go somewhere. I'm just yeah. wondering as a non, if I were not a Christian and I don't yet know Jesus, like, do I just all of a sudden when COVID's all finished, the way I want to connect with Jesus is, oh, let's tune into a digital thing at this point. It just seems like there's a window of opportunity. I don't know what it is six months after, but for three to six months, people are going to want to get back, it seems like. And I hear that all the time. And uh, that may be absolutely true. My take's a little bit different than that. And this is where you and I've talked about it too. But my take would be, yeah, I think there could be maybe, you know, the Church of 500. It's like Sunday one, whenever that is. The NFL, the NBA, school's normal. People are flying all over the world. Borders are open. There's no threat of a virus. Yeah, maybe it's 550, 600, 700 for a week or two. I don't know. Uh, but that happened after 9-11 too, right? Everybody rushed back to church. And then you look at the long-term data, it's like down, 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 down. So I think what people are going to do is they're going to pick and choose. And they're going to say, my life did get slower during COVID. It was weird. It got slower. Uh, are we going back to five nights of sport, cheer, equestrian with the kids every night? I don't think so. Are we going back to as much like, look at how much money we save by not eating at restaurants. Like maybe we'll get takeout because takeout's always cheaper then in-person dining. Maybe we'll get takeout once in a while. And then church. Yeah, maybe we'll be back once a month. But like when my friends are in town or that kind of thing, but we're going to be away for a little while. We'll be in the mountains and, you know, we're going to watch, we're going to give, we're going to contribute. But I wonder, I think one of the trends that I've been thinking about a lot as we record this is the ascent of home uh, over 2020. So you look at all the things that moved to the house, Um, work moved home. And some of that's a permanent shift. Employees want it. Employers want it. Will office towers repopulate? Yeah, but there's going to be a big, you know, big vacancy for commercial real estate and retail real estate. Shopping went home. Amazon's at my door three times a day, partly because I got a full life, but, you know, my patterns have changed. Uh, Fitness went home. Will gyms ever be the same? Uh, I don't know. Um, A lot of people, they bought their, their material and their equipment at home and now they're pretty much set up or they bought a bike. You can't buy a bike where I live because they're all gone. People are now into home fitness. Uh, school's gone home. And some of that obviously is going to go back to the school system, but some parents are going to pod or they're going to homeschool. And um, entertainment. I mean, they're now releasing because Hollywood's just been massively disrupted. They're now um, releasing directly to your home. So they're bypassing the theaters. Is that going to change? I don't know. So then where does church fit? Well, again, back to your distributed church, the mobilized church, the micro church. All of a sudden, what if my house became church? What if my neighborhood became church? I think that is an opportunity for the church to come alongside people. And I think some of those shifts are permanent. So I think there could be a little blip, but I think long-term it's gone digital and people live a hybrid of digital and real life life. And uh, I think for church to fit into a digital component and even the relationships to be more digital than they were pre-COVID, I, I, I think that could be a, a long-term trend. I think for sure. I mean, the, the, the decentralized part of what you're talking about, it's, you know, whether it's what I'm really 
praying for and want <laughs> to happen or whether it does that. I mean, it would be a blessing in disguise if part of what comes out of COVID is we really do take a step forward in mobilizing the priesthood of all believers. Like yeah. this, this idea that, yeah, what I'm doing at home could be a church. I, I But I do think in that kind of environment, it seems like doesn't the role of the church become to flip that equation upside down and equip people in that? hundred like, percent. So you become the, the, the building is the equipping center. It's not the, it's not the pinnacle. You invert the pyramid. It's not like we have all you people so that you can come and watch our event or worship on Sunday morning. It's no, we exist to equip you. And that scales at a much better level. Like you want to talk about what scales that actually scales. Whereas trying to cram people in at set hours, I think is a model that we borrowed from previous centuries. So I think we've managed to upset absolutely everybody who's listening. I think that's a pretty good job. But um, okay, so here, here's what I want to know. What would you say to the church planter who started, uh, let's say, Easter 2019? And let's say typical church. Uh, they're meeting in a school gym where they can't meet anymore. Um, you know, 100 people, 75 people, 150 tops. It's a shoestring budget. They have just enough money to support a full-time pastor. And how are they doing right now? And what is their course ahead? Yeah, I I think in, in the church planting space, Carrie, if, if you look the first year at least, it's usually like a capital campaign. You've done your fundraising in a way that you've got almost like a bridge loan. You've got the finances to sustain you in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in that window you're talking about, Easter of 2019 is probably pretty close to it. Um, where you start running out of the outside money and you're completely reliant on the internal money that, you know, tides and offerings. Because right. your big pot just kind of got dwindled down, right? Right, right. So yeah. you, you almost could make an argument, if knowing everything you know about COVID now, if you had to pick between planting a church in spring of 2019 or planting a church in the spring of 2020, you might immediately think, oh, I don't want to do 2020, but you know what? They've got funding in place. They, I mean, they were already planning to have to suck it up and do their thing. That church planter that started somewhere between 2018 and 2019, we need to be praying for those guys mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're the ones who, you know, it takes normally three years to get financially self-sufficient. You start losing your outside money, more important on the internal. And it does come back to the importance, I hate to say, of the money and where the money comes from. But what does a church planner do that then plays into the future? They build a core team of people. That's really what's going to become the 20% that are funding the whole thing as you grow kind of thing. Mm. You're building the depth of the relationship. You're getting into it. So my encouragement to anybody, not just the church planners at this point, how do you work on that relationship with the core of, of who you're on? Whether it's smaller gatherings around fire pits with social distancing, or I just think any way possible to get the face-to-face. -face. Our lead pastor and I today, we we just spent three hours together outside social distancing, you know, doing the catch-up conversation kind of thing. And I, I just think that that's irreplaceable at this point, I, I think, especially for the church planters that are trying to build what they're doing. Well, let's wrap up on a note of hope. Um, when you look forward to the future, 
where do you think the opportunity is? Because you are an optimist. I'm an optimist. And we've gone through a lot of like realistic scenarios because, you know, um, organizations that had money in the bank and a healthy team prior to COVID were in a much better position to respond to it, to give, to donate, to serve, to help. Uh, If you're struggling for your own survival, it's pretty hard to help other people survive. But if, if you, you know, they've been in a much better position. So I see this as great opportunity. Um, and I think, I think it could lead to an explosion of church growth that perhaps looks a little bit different than trying to cram as many people as possible into a building on Sunday morning. It might be a more distributed model. I, I think Kerry, that is, that's my optimism, what you just described. I think if, if I were putting a label on the season we're in right now or a title on the chapter or the part of the book Mm. we're in. The title has something to do with confusion, questions, uncertainty. The average church leader is uncertain. They have questions. They're wondering about the future. They don't have solutions yet. They have questions. And I think like your ministry, you have the ability, just like Exponential does, we can look ahead a year. We're going to survive COVID. And we can be looking and saying, what are the solutions that people need six months from now, 12 months from now? And I think more than ever, the church needs to put that kind of hat on. The the average church leader needs to say, not how am I going to survive tomorrow, but needs to try to look beyond the confusion of today and now see the people in the church are looking for solutions too. There's confusion with people. What does it look like for the decentralized church of the future through digital, through microsites, whatever the form is, what does it look like to mobilize people with the, and, and maybe that solution as simple as, instead of seeing themselves as a training center, it really is the subtle distinction to an equipping center. 100%. And what does it look like the best solution we can give the people to mobilize them into this new normal thing in the future is to figure out how to best equip, not just how to teach on a Sunday, but how do we equip? And that can take the form of a lot of different forms. So I'm actually very optimistic. I mean, there's a lot of challenges in in the short term, but I truly believe we're gonna look back in five to 10 years and say, wow, that was really cool what God did using COVID for the future of the church in the United States. I think you're right. And I think rather than focusing on what you can't do, which is we can't fill up all the rows, we can't get everybody in the way we want, focus on what is possible and what you can do. Uh, I'll leave listeners, leaders with a metaphor. So I finally got to Chick-fil-A headquarters last fall to do an interview for this podcast. I interviewed Mark Miller and I'd never been, they don't call it headquarters and that's my point. Um, but they're in Atlanta, South Atlanta, near the airport, and it's massive, really, really big. But they call, I don't get the name wrong, we'll correct it in the show notes, but it's like they call it the support center. Um, it's not a headquarters. And, and the whole vision behind that is we actually exist to support our owner operators across the country and now around the world. So we are here to serve them because if the local Chick-fil-A in Wyoming is doing great, then we're doing our job. And a lot of companies are top down. And I think if the local church saw themselves as, okay, so you have 100 people distributed in their homes or 10,000 people distributed in their homes, they're there right now while you're listening to this podcast going, can you equip me? Um, How do I talk to my neighbor? 
How do, how do I uh, become a great witness at work? And if you can see yourself as serving them rather than trying to convince the maximum number of people to show up into your building or to your stream, you're not going to have to worry about your building. You're not going to have to worry about your stream. If, if you are there trying to equip and, and, and serve them and to help them live out their faith in their home, live out their faith in their community. And I know we always believed those things were important, but I don't think we behaved as though they were important. And sometimes our behavior reflects our beliefs more than we want to admit. And I think that's where the great inversion for the future is, where those little buildings or facilities or big buildings we build when we build them will be there to serve the people who are distributed, the church that's distributed around the city, community, country, world. Final thoughts on that? I, I think um, it, it immediately makes me think of Bob Buford. Hmm. Uh, many of your listeners might not even know who Bob Buford is. And the really cool thing is Bob Buford has impacted almost everybody listening to this 100%. podcast. Yeah. And Bob had three sayings. My fruit grows on other people's trees. He saw his scorecard through the idea of the fruit of what other people were doing. Um, his second was the Home Depot. You can do it how can I help? Not the normal posture of, hey, we can do it. You can help us do our thing, but you can do it. How do we help? And then his third one was, I'm the catapult, not the carrier. Hmm. Um, What he meant by that, like in aircraft carrier terms, the the average person in the church is the plane. And Bob wanted to play the role of the catapult to help catapult them into what God called them to do. And when I, the very first time I met Bob Carey, he was sharing with me his burden. He said, I want you to imagine an intercontinental railroad in the United States. And he said, from one coast is the individual laity or the individual person who God has given a calling, who can be a missionary with a mission field, who needs to be mobilized on their Ephesian 2.10 calling. And that there, there ought to be a railroad being built from the West Coast to the center of the country with that. And he said, and I've had the privilege of being in the mega church movement, and the church growth movement, which is a railroad moving from the East Coast to the center of the country. And that's this whole growth of the church and the strength of the church. And he said, for years, my dream has been those two railroads were going to meet in the middle of the country, that mm. the mega church and the church growth movement was going to find its way as the mobilization platform for the mobilization of, of all believers. Wow. And he looked at me at the time and said, and I'm starting to think that the railroads are passing in the night, oh, that man. they're not actually connecting up. And now, He started having a little bit more hope with multi and then the micro things. But I'm reminded by what you're saying that one of our huge opportunities in this future, digital, decentralized, the discovering all these forms we're talking about is what if part of what comes out of COVID is an entire new mobilization of the priesthood of all believers in ways we're not even thinking of on this call right now? I mean, what Mm. if we're able to look back and say, you know, we thought it was all about how digital was going to be so much more. And man, that we were thinking too small with that. The, well, the, digital's a means to an end, right? At the end of the day, Amazon would tell you that. Anybody would tell you that. That digital is not the thing. It's a conduit, just like buildings were a conduit, like a car is a conduit, a train is a conduit. 
I love that. You know, I got to write that down. My fruit grows on other people's trees. I think that is an awesome life mantra and something that can really keep a lot in perspective. That is so rich. Todd, man, well, this was a lot of fun. This was fun. I wish we could do this more often, Gary. Yeah, we should. We should. We, we really will. But I think you helped a lot of leaders today. Hey, point us to something Exponential is doing that you're really excited about and that you would love listeners to check out. Well, we're, uh, we are uh, doing this fall, these roundtables where we went from multiple events to hundreds of roundtables. So that's always a fun thing to check out. And then I'll just, I'll, I'll just quickly mention... Um, Bob Buford makes me think of it actually. Bob Buford was the founder of Leadership Network. Yeah. Um, in a group that's really come alongside and helped a lot of mega churches. And so um, they, they're a 30 plus year old ministry. And we have just, uh, they're coming under the umbrella of Exponential. You guys so, are merging or? Um, yeah, they're, they're becoming part of Exponential. We're going to have a renewed focus on leadership through there. You know, if you, if you look at the more boutique part of Exponential that we want to help churches multiply, well, 93% of churches are not reproducing or multiplying, hmm. but 100% of churches are interested in leadership and need leadership things. So part of it, what fits nicely together is we're you know, two like-minded ministries. And uh, so I, I would say be watching in the coming months where we have some really fun plans for the future of Leadership Network. And that's probably one of the really exciting things that are happening. Uh, awesome. Todd, can't thank you enough. Thanks, man. Thank you, Gary. Well, that was fascinating and interesting. And if you want more, we have show notes and transcripts, all of that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 377, as well as all the links to anything that we talked about in this podcast. So thank you so much to my team who uh, make sure that those get in your hands every single week. We have some fresh episodes coming up. We're going to talk church again next episode uh, by having a conversation with Tom Rayner. Here is an excerpt. They are looking at the attendance as their measure of success. Yeah. And if they had, and I'm talking about in-person attendance, and if they had 75 gathered pre-COVID and they have 30 gathered now, they are feeling like failures. Yeah. And I, I want to tell them, no, you're not. Your people are still there. They're just in some different places right now. And let's adjust accordingly. So the attendance metric, I think, is more pervasive in the smaller churches because when you go from 75 to 30, it really feels like you've lost a lot of people as opposed from going from 800 to 400 to 500. You still have a good mass that is there. Now, for those of you who subscribe, you know that you automatically get the podcast. And uh, I'm subscribing to new ones all the time. And if you're a new listener... Why don't you hit the subscribe button right now and maybe share it with a friend. Let us know you're listening. Uh, we often feature that on my social media, uh, usually Instagram, and you can find me there at Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. Also on Facebook and, and uh, Twitter at C Newhoff. So it's time for the What I'm Thinking About segment. And what I want to talk about is I want to talk about what's happening with the future of online church. And this segment is brought to you by Promedia Fire and by Remodel Health. So check out Promedia Fire's digital growth bundle. Get the launch price today by going to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth and visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry where you will save a lot in healthcare next year, perhaps even increasing the benefits 
for the team that you care about so much. If you go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, you'll get their free savings calculator, church buyer's guide, and brand new ebook. So here is what I am thinking about when it comes to how quickly the church and perhaps how permanently the church is changing. So I ran across a couple of uh, interesting statistics, and there's a brand new Barna study that was just released that asked people, what are your preferences for church when it comes to after COVID? Like, are you going to be a digital person, an in-person uh, person? And there were a lot of interesting findings. Interestingly enough, the younger the audience, the more likely they were going to go for a digital experience and the less likely they were to choose primarily physical gatherings. So in the Barna study, only 41% of Gen Z said they primarily would be doing physical gatherings. 37% said both. And not surprisingly, only 13% said not just doing digital. Okay. So that was only 13%. What was interesting, I blogged about this. You can find it at uh, kerryneuhoff.com. Just search my name and um, three shocking statistics. And it was really interesting because I had a bunch of, of, of leaders and some really good people sort of take me on because I've been saying, you know, digital church is the future. Everybody you want to reach is online. And predictably, almost every time I say that, people are like, well, not everybody's online. Yeah, well, the vast majority of people are. But it was interesting how quickly church leaders started to look at the opposite take on that statistic. And they said, well, if you really look at it, only 13% are saying they want primarily digital so why would we sink more resources into online? I mean, if really you're looking at, let's say, uh, you know, 78% of people, 8% said neither, they're just kind of bailing. But if you're looking at like 78% who are saying, we'll probably be at church, why wouldn't you just do that? So here's where my thinking is different than most of the thinking that I'm seeing out there. And that is, Yes, that's true. That's actually one way to look at it and say, well, almost everybody's coming back. Why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't we just throw everything into the return to church? Well, that leads us to another number, which is the churches that are reopened now are saying only 36% of their previous attendance is now showing up. That is the average, according to a Tony Morgan uh, survey that was just released. So like 36% of what you used to have, but people are saying, no, no, no. See, they're all going to come back. Here's why I, I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong because if you look at tendencies over the last 20 years, you can see year after year after year, the frequency and prevalence of church attendance has been dropping. Crisis is an accelerator. And I think what's happening right now, even though we can't really see where the dust is going to settle or when it's going to settle or how it's going to settle, is that the 37% of Gen Z who's saying, no, we'll do both. By both, they mean, yeah, I'm going to come back to your church, but what used to be once a month, I think is going to become once every two months or maybe once a quarter. And, um, you know, you've already got 13% going, no, primarily digital. And then if it's primarily physical gatherings, remember, primary physical gatherings five years ago was, well, we're attending once every four to six weeks or, you know, twice a month at the most. And I think when people have digital options, they're going to say, yeah, we're going to show up a few times a year for sure. And we're going to gather physically with our small group and we're going to gather in community like in a distributed way. But as far as the return to the building, I wouldn't be holding my breath. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm realizing, wow, I really have a minority opinion on this. But I just wanted to explain a little bit more about the reasoning behind that. So anyway, uh, I mean, if I was planning right now, and I'm in a founding role, not a lead role, but if I was planning right now, I would be putting half of my staff 
time, energy, and budget into online resources for ministry in the future. Now, do I think that will involve personal gathering? Yes, but I think people are just as likely to gather in their backyard, in their home, in small groups, off-site, in microsites, as they are at the big site, like they used to pre-COVID, because the big site you're building was already struggling pre-COVID. So that's what I'm thinking about these days. Uh, I would love to hear from you. You can hit me up on social media. Uh, just say, hey, I'm a podcast listener, or um, we'll also link to it in the show notes. Uh, the blog post that I'm pulling that stat from is three shocking statistics that show how quickly, radically, and then I think permanently, church is changing in 2020. So see what you think. Uh, that's why I'm kind of big on the digital. And I'm just trying to like, I don't have any skin in this game. I don't really, you know, I don't succeed or lose depending on where it's going. I'm just trying to help leaders figure out like, hey, where's the future going? You know, it's that old, old Wayne Gretzky uh, quote, right? I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where it's going. And I think if you skate to where it's going, you're going to have a much better future than if you skate to where it's been. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, maybe you have your own opinion or you're too exhausted to have your opinion right now. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks. It's a great tribe, a growing tribe. And we'll see you next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.